Welcome listeners. I would like to welcome Pam Roddy Betancourt as our guest today on Writer Someday to Author Today. I'm your host, Jennifer Gordon, and this is the very, very talented Ms. Pam Betancourt. Pam, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your book? Hi, I am um, Pam Betancourt. I wrote a book uh, based on my experiences of familial child sexual abuse. I was abused by my best friend's father for 10 years, starting at the age of 13. And um, I wrote a book. It's basically, it's a, it's a memoir, but it's more of a um, manuscript of how a pedophile operates and also um, the effects, the long-term effects, the short-term effects that has on a person after they've been a victim of sexual abuse. So it's called, But I Am Here. Pam, your book is extraordinary. I read it um, the other day. I read it very quickly. And and I'm glad you touched on this already. You said something I was thinking about. You wrote it not just like a memoir, uh, because I've read a lot of memoirs, but this, your first several chapters, to me, really laid out what to be looking for in the early stages of childhood sexual abuse. You talked about how your abuser basically brainwashed you, basically made you become his victim. And I, I appreciated that because I felt like if, if, if a younger person read this book, they, they could maybe see signs that back when I was a kid or you were a kid, we didn't know what was happening. So can you right. talk a little bit about what made you decide to, to take that route? Like, Because it, 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 it reads like a warning manual sometimes, and it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, obviously, back when it was happening to me, I had no clue what was happening to me because the manipulation and the control <clears throat> is so powerful that um, it's not like the stranger danger that kids are taught, you know, because that's that's a certain behavior, a certain action. It's from somebody who they're strangers to. In my case, it was somebody that I had already loved. It was my best friend's father. So he was familiar to me. He was familiar to my family. Um, I loved this man. So it's, it's a whole different set of emotions and control that goes into it. So I wanted to write this as an education tool for parents so that they know what to be looking for and also for um, a tool for victims to be able to relate to. Because when I first went into therapy, which was about 30 years after my abuse, I looked around for anything and everything I could read to try to feel like I wasn't alone. And there was nothing out there that I could relate to. Um, so I wanted to write it in a way that people could relate to it. They could associate it to things that had happened to them if they had happened to them. Yes. So, so I wanted to, oh, you know, oh, focus sorry, on the that. Um, so that, that, that was my, my, my initial emotional gut reaction to your work, uh, besides it being uh, beautifully done and beautifully edited, was that, and, I, and I've read a lot of memoirs about childhood sexual abuse, and yours was more relatable 
than many I had read because a lot of them, uh, I think, really focus on the, the gory details. And your book didn't so much focus on the gory details. They, they were implied. We understand you were 13. It, 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 that's gory enough. You, you made it, your story made it seem like it could have been me. It could have been my best friend. It could have been if I had a sister. Uh, it, it, it was very real. So I was wondering, uh, uh, we'll talk about your writing process in a minute, but when you were writing it like that, as opposed to a, like a gory uh, memoir where sometimes too much is laid out on the table, were you writing this specifically for um, maybe young adults or like early young teenagers to be reading? Because it, it, it really, it worked well for me as an adult, but I feel like this book should be in schools. It should be in libraries. Yeah, I did. I wanted it to be um, able to be read by younger children. Um, the gore and the horror is pretty much... Um, you, you live with it. Yeah. So you don't really need to share that part of it. You know, what happened to me probably happened pretty similar to, you know, another person who was a victim of sexual abuse. So I didn't feel like I needed to get into the details Plus I have, um, like I said, I had just told my husband about it. Oh, maybe I didn't say that. I told him 30 years after we were married 25 years and <clears throat> we were going into our 25th wedding anniversary year and I couldn't keep the secret any longer. Um, I just felt like I had only shared half of me with him through our marriage. And, you know, this, this gentleman... I shouldn't say gentleman, this pedophile. Um, he was a family friend, so he never went away. So even while I was married, he was right there by my side and he became good friends with my husband and, you know, with the ulterior motive because then he could come over for holidays and visit us on vacation. And, um, you know, he just made a good connection with my husband and everybody loved this man, which is usually- They usually the do. They usually yeah. do. Because They're, they rely on that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you did, a, again, a, a wonderful and a heartbreaking job of describing just how charismatic he really was. Yeah, he the was. Fact, um, and that had to be hard to write. Yeah, it, it was. He was very charming. He was very distinguished. He was very friendly. He was very social. And he didn't have an enemy in the world. And um, he was always the life of the party. And he just, everybody loved him. Um, so he did. He became very good friends with my husband and like an uncle to my kids. So when I told my husband, um, it was hard. And I told him my abuser was very sick at the time. And he was um, in an hospital. He had cancer. And, um, you know, I told my husband. And then shortly after that, I told my kids, I have three children. So nobody wants to read about their mother, you know, with graphic details. Right. And I didn't think it would be beneficial for them to be reading that. You know, they know what happened. They know, you know, they know they can ask me anything, what they want to know, what they don't want to know. You know, I don't think um, 
you know, my daughter's asked me more than my sons. My sons have a hard time talking to me. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's understandable. Yeah, yeah, you wrote this in such a respectful way. Like, I, I could tell, like, you res- first you respected your own story. You understood what happened to you, maybe not then, but you do now. And you understand what happened to you. And you understand what that did to your life long term. And I think the, the tact and the beauty that you wrote with it made me fully understand that you understood that you felt like you were alone for a long time but now you're not you are in this with your husband and your family so you wrote with tact not just for yourself but maybe for them yeah you know to me it seemed very it was very respectful I had planned on right you know I told my therapist on the very first session when I met her that I'd share my story when I felt I could do more good than harm with it. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time. It was almost five years for me to get to that point. And once I told my husband, things happened pretty quickly. Um, my kids found out, you know, what, shortly after, it was about a year after my husband, my kids found out. And what really made me want to tell them was my son was having issues with a girlfriend And he was upset and I was trying to give him advice, which after going through something like this, you don't know if you give him good advice or bad advice. (laughs) I feel like we don't know that even on a good day. (laughs) I don't know. What advice am I giving? I could be telling you the wrong thing. (laughs) Especially we're from New England. We have that guilt anyways. (laughs) And I was doing my best to give him some advice. And he looked at me and he said to me, he says, mom, you'll never understand you've never been in a toxic relationship. And when he oh, said that, man. it broke my heart because I couldn't say anything. I, you know, and as the mother, you want to help your kid as much as possible. And at that point, I just had to keep my mouth shut because he had no idea and I couldn't tell him what I had been through. And it was devastating. It crushed me. And so I said to myself at that point, I said, you know, I'm not just going to tell my kids, I'm going to show them that you can do good with whatever circumstance you're, you've been put into. So um, that's when I really committed to writing the book okay. because I wanted to tell them, but I also wanted to tell, I wanted to show them that I was doing something positive from a bad situation. I don't want to cut you off right now. We're going to take a, a, a little break just to hear from some of our sponsors. And then we're going to come back and I want to talk to you about what your writing process was like and then how you became brave enough to get this published with Breaking Rules Publishing. Breaking Rules Publishing is currently accepting submissions in all genres, including for our four magazine lines, Horror Magazine, The Scribe, Triangle Writers, and the soon-to-be-released Someday Magazine. We also have several short story anthologies, such as The Hollow, Where All Evil Lies, and an upcoming wedding anthology. So for more information, please visit breakingrulespublishing.com. And if you're enjoying Writer Someday to Author today, please make sure to hit subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. So welcome back, everybody, to the Breaking Rules Publishing Podcast, Writer Someday to Author Today. Uh, Once again, I am your host, Jennifer Gordon, and this is our guest, Pam Roddy Betancourt, and she has been talking about her book, 
I, I always say the title wrong. It's called I'm Still Here. This is why. But I am here. But I am here. But I am here. Yeah. I won't lie, Pam. I keep getting it confused with a, a, the name of a movie of my ex-movie boyfriend, Joaquin Phoenix. He had a, he had a title of a movie that was similar to this, and I keep saying that. <laughs> so uh, I do want to talk a little bit about, I want to say a couple of things about what I thought about your writing style, which are very complimentary and lovely. And then I want you to talk about how you got to the point to be brave enough, not only to write it and did your family know, but then we'll talk about like how you get even braver and start to publish. So my thoughts on your writing, you had a part at the very, very, very beginning of your book and also at the end of your book underneath your author photograph that was poetry, actual poetry. And, um, and I love that as somebody who who writes poetry and dabbles there myself. Uh, I thought that was a beautiful bridge into something that was incredibly realistic and 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 hard and beautiful to read. But what made you decide to kind of bookend your your novel, your memoir, uh, with these more poetic uh, images? because it was beautiful and it was and I don't even know if you intended it to be bookends but it was gorgeous yeah I did um when I first started writing I wrote it all poetry oh oh Pam (laughs) (laughs) it was all like prose poetry and then I read an article that actually a girl I went to high school with had written and she was a writing instructor and it was creative writing. And I really liked the style of that, how it has, um, you know, one sentence can go on for, you know, half the page. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. And you don't, and I just felt like I could get more into what I was trying to say by using that style so I did, I did one piece, um, the, my wedding day, I did that piece first and I sent it off to a few people to see what they thought about it. And they said that they really liked it and they would have liked it more if there was more to the story. Right. It's just that piece alone. It was good, but they really couldn't figure out what was going on. So. See, I loved, I loved the parts. You had a few chapters and I don't want to give it away at all uh, that very much leaned into a, a ambiguous poetic style. Right. And I, and, and I'm not trying to plug my book at all, but you read my book and I also write in that same style of all of a sudden there's like a little bit of poetry. It can drive yeah. some people bonkers. Sometimes it doesn't. Some people like it. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I, I liked, um, I did like it. And I like writing that way. And it kind of just flows a little bit better for me when I do it like that. Um, so I changed the whole thing. You know, I took every chapter and I redid it. I did leave the, those two poems because I really liked those as poems. And you know, there was a message there, but it wasn't a story. So I was able to keep, you know, there were shorter poems right. and they were very explicit. And yeah. 
you know, the, the chapters, I kind of, you know, tweaked up, tweaked those and tried to make it because it flowed better for a full chapter. Yeah. Your book very much worked like that. Um, Even the poetic parts within the chapters where, where it got a little bit more vague and more, I would say stream of consciousness, emotional. uh, That's the part that was poetry to me and, and it worked really well. Uh, So Two things. One, uh, there is a chapter, and we're not going to go into it now because I want people to read your book, but it is about your wedding. Uh, I would just say my my advice to you is, and this can be a shameless Breaking Rules publication plug, we're doing uh, an anthology uh, about weddings, mm-hmm. wedding stories of all kind. I would uh, absolutely adore if you if you submitted to Breaking Rules again something something about your wedding whether that's poetry because you have a beautiful voice and I want I want more people to understand that weddings are complicated yeah, and sometimes sometimes it's all not just a we kiss and there was a happily ever after Sometimes there's a lot of confusion and I would adore it if you wrote um, like like a prose poetry piece. I have no say about what can go in, but I could, our our listeners, our listeners will petition. They'll pick it on the streets. Uh, (laughs) So, um, okay. So did you always write or was this something that was maybe done as an exercise through therapy? Yeah, no, I never wrote. I hated English in school. What? Um, yeah, I hated English. I just never, you know, I started 20 years after I graduated high school. I went back to school I for to become a nurse. And um, it's something I always wanted to do. But, you know, and when I was in high school, okay. I was so controlled that it wasn't an option for me. But I never lost that that want. So... Um, after my daughter went to kindergarten, I decided I was going back to school. And in nursing school, you have to write a lot of papers because you have to do a lot of research. And um, I found my mom that- went back to school for nursing when I was a kid, so I I remember <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, and I just I found it a little bit easier. Granted, I was in a whole different mind state when I went to college than in high school, so. Um, I found it easier writing. And then I, when I began therapy, my therapist, shoot, they encourage you to write because they want you to journal because if you say it and write it, then it it kind of absorbs a little easier and it kind of helps you to heal. So she had me start writing on the first day I went to her and she kept commenting on, how amazing my memory was and how, um, you know, people could benefit from how much I could remember. Cause a lot of people, they don't remember. You know, a lot of people, up. if people will go through what you went through, um, and I know this from people I know and love very much, there's a disassociation that can happen and then the memories are gone. But, but you and I are right. similar in a way we have, an almost photographic memory. Yours right. might be photographic. 
the way yeah, you wrote. I, and I, I mean, I can remember, you know, so much detail from a particular event, you know, 40 years ago. And I used to think that, you know, God cursed me with that. <laughs> but now I feel like it's a blessing. And I was given that ability to be able to help people who um, are either going through it or parents who want to try to protect their kids from it so that, you know, they can get a little more insight into the mind of a pedophile. And, you know, like I said, it does not have to be a stranger. Most, it's yeah. more often, it's, it's more common. More often to, not. Right. And it's more common to be somebody that you know than someone you don't know. So parents need to be able to know the signs. I mean, the signs are there. There were so many people in my life that didn't follow through on the signs. You know, they suspected, they questioned him. Um, but like I said, he was just so charismatic that he could talk his way out of it. And um, people need to go with their gut. Uh, okay. You and I are both from New England. And for those of you who are listening who aren't from New England, uh, those are those like little six states where everybody uh, bottles up all of their feelings and nobody likes to talk about anything. Yeah. So what I loved about your book, even without you ever saying it, is I sort of felt like New England... And that stoicism that this entire region is known for was almost like a third character because you, you, you talked about, and I shouldn't say character, but a third presence in the book because mm -hmm. you talked about, you know, teachers who almost cared, but didn't yeah. doctors who almost cared, but didn't family friends that almost cared you know, they, they, they started asking the questions, but then they, they didn't follow through. And you were a kid. So do you think, and I have no idea if, if this is true or not, but do you think that like the, the culture of the time that we grew up in, because I don't think we're that really far away from each other, uh, and the area we lived in, where yeah. you don't talk about things, you just right. sweep it under the rug and you have a glass of scotch and it's fine. Yeah. And my mother, um, she was a stay at home mom. She had six kids. I'm the youngest of six. So she was busy. She was exhausted. My <laughs> yeah. My father worked three jobs to support us. So, you know, my father was out working most of the time, but, um, my parents didn't believe things like that happened. We, you know, I live in a nice little town and they didn't believe things like that happened in this kind of town. Right. And, you know, that was it. I mean, my mother, she just, she trusted everybody. She loved everybody. She saw the best of everybody. She never had a bad word to say about anyone. And, you know, I think they were taken advantage of because he knew that, you know, he oh. knew... That he knew, nice yeah, that you are the youngest of six and you're also a twin, right? Right. So, yeah. So there's so much going on in your house and, you know, what happened to you happened to you for a lot of reasons, but the most important reason was that that man was a very smart monster. Yeah. So, um, 
So sidetrack, go back to the publishing thing. So you write your book. It's therapy. You, you've gotten it out. You've told yeah. your, your, your husband and you've told your children and it's been, that's terrifying enough. What made you decide I'm going to publish and, and I'm just going to say this right now. I'm so thankful that you and I are at the same publisher, which is Breaking Rules Publishing. I don't know how much you've talked to uh, Christopher Clausen Rule, who is our, our president and founder of our company, but he is an incredibly generous of spirit and a loving, incredible person and so supportive. Uh, so I don't know. Tell me about how you became published like, and why you kind of chose the route you did. Well, it's, it's, it's really actually, um, I believe things happen for a reason. I was going to say it's fate, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. You're going to say something and I'm going to get chills. (laughs) I was, um, I had told my brothers and sisters and, um, you know, I told my family that I'm in close contact with and my cousin put on Facebook, he lives in Texas. He grew up near me. Um, but he lives in Texas now. And he put on Facebook that he had published a poetry book. I didn't even know he did poetry. And um, I sent him a message and I said, Joe, you know, I saw that you have published a book. I said, I'm thinking about looking for a publisher for my book. And I told him what happened. He had no idea. I told him, you know, my story. Yeah. And he, um, I said, do you think your publisher would be interested in reading it? I am getting chills. (laughs) (laughs) He said, well, let me introduce you to. So he sent Christopher an email and CC'd me on it. And he said, he just introduced me. He said, you know, this is my cousin and she's thinking of publishing a book and um, want to know if you were interested. So then Christopher got in contact with me and he was, you know, on board right off the bat, yeah. he was full. He was, you know, he's like, this has to get out there. You know, um, yeah, I'd love to do it. I'd love to work with you. And that was it. You know, and, and it shocked me because I kept saying to myself, um, you know, because when people say to me, you know, what what book did you write? And I tell them, people's jaws drop because they're in shock. They don't know what to say. And I'm saying to myself, trying to prepare myself to start sending this out to publishers. And I'm like, you know, this is going to be hard. And I didn't have to do any of that. So it was just, I'm so glad you didn't because I can't imagine, I can't imagine the people in the publishing world that read memoirs that are as beautiful as yours and say no to it or have to say no, because I can only publish one book a year or whatever. We're lucky. Uh, The good thing about, I'm just going to talk about Breaking Rules Publishing just for a second. Uh, and, and Christopher and and Patty and Allison and Sarah and Trisha and everybody on our team. And I know I've missed people, Abigail. It really is breaking rules. Like we're trying to take some of the heartache out of publishing. And we're also trying to, I mean, this is Christopher's dream, uh, get get the books that need to be out there out there. So mm-hmm. taking chances on uh, memoirs that are, are hard to read, but b- 
beautiful. Taking chances on my book, which was hard to read, but beautiful. Taking chances on, on, on romance novels that are too smart to be romance, but too romantic to be <laughs> literature. So I, I love that your cousin hooked you up with Breaking Rules because yeah. I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I, we wouldn't know each other. Right. And I feel like if we can ever leave our house again, we live like 40 minutes away from each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see yeah. you and I'm going to give you a hug. So um, I know you said you hated writing. You hated English. Are, are you writing anything now? I am. I have. Oh, book. it's a, it's like a bug. It gets into your skin. <laughs> it does. It does. And it, you know, it, it's kind of, it's based on my experiences, obviously um, still, that's what I find I can write about. I don't, you know, that's, I haven't benched it off aside from that, but it's more of what it's like to live with this. Yes. After it's happened. I'm clapping. Nobody can see that, but I'm on video <laughs> and clapping. This is, that's the story that needs to be told because, you know, we don't have all the time in the world, but you are a beautiful, happy woman right now. And you've gone through hell to get there and you have an amazing family and, and you're here and you're surviving. And I think right. it, that's important for people, A, who were in it, that it's happening to the people who have survived it, but can't feel like they can pull themselves out. Right. They need, they, they need, need right. they need you. They need somebody to say, you know, it sucks. And you feel like your life is destroyed, but it doesn't need to be. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be. And it doesn't need to be. You can it's do more it. more empowering, you know, to not let it ruin you. You know, oh. and I think <gasps> that just gave me chills all over. Say that again. It's more <laughs> empowering to not let it ruin you. Right. Say it. Say it, Pam. It's not. Empo- it's more empowering to not let it ruin you. I love and that. I was looking for that kind of story when I was in therapy and I didn't find it. You and, wrote it. <laughs> right. And people need to know why certain things happen. Like I, I scream a lot, you know, uh, the littlest thing can happen. And I scream at the top of my lungs. I mean, my family's so used to it just <laughs> now, but to people that don't, you know, that they don't know me, they'll look at me like I'm crazy. And it's just because I, <laughs> I, hypervigilant. I don't mean to laugh, but, um, so well, it, it is funny though. Well, it's, it's funny cause I can relate to it. So, uh, again, it's not, it's not my trauma, so I'm not going to give uh, too many details, but I've had and have people that are, I am incredibly close with in my life who were also victims and now survivors. And it's the same thing. If you walk into a room and they don't know you're there, they scream. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The yeah, reflex is the, unbelievable. Yeah. And I get it. But, yeah. but every once in a while we're like, come on. <laughs> so now I sometimes, when I approach those people, I walk and clap at the same time. I'm like, I'm coming in the room. <laughs> well, yeah. People do that to me too. My husband, <laughs> My husband tries to do it because I give him a heart attack. When I scream like that, I mean, he jumps too. You know, we're in this isolation thing. So yesterday we were sitting in my living room and my brother came and wanted to say hi. So he knocked on our window and he knocked on the window and all I heard was a knock and I saw his hand and I screamed. So my daughter-in-law screamed and then her mother, <laughs> it was a domino effect. Do you have pets? Did the pets start barking? 
No. Um, that's what happens in our house. Somebody screams, everybody barks. Yeah, well, he when he barks, I scream. And you got the fire trucks, he barks whenever he's just sitting there. And if he has a siren, he'll bark. And I scream. And my daughter keeps saying, you know, we're so much alike. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not a big dog person. And, um, you know, that whole story is in the next book. But uh, well, uh, the dog story? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited about that. I'd read it anyways, but you got me at dogs and screaming, Pam. <laughs> I feel like that. Let me write the cover, like the like a review on the back cover. I'll be like, you had me at dogs and screaming. <laughs> it's a bestseller. So, I mean, things like that, you know, people just have to, you know, if anyone knows anybody who's been through this and, um, you know, there's just behaviors that you just, they're you, they become you. And, you know, you do you have a hard time trusting people? And it doesn't mean you can never trust somebody, but it does take a little effort. You know, you, my kids were pretty sheltered. <laughs> you know, my kids, my house was a house where the kids came to play. My kids didn't really have the opportunity to yeah. go to friends. So, you know, it's just that so you were like, the overprotective mom. Yeah. The protector. Yeah. You got to be the protector. I still am. Yeah. And then, you know, 25, 26 and 28. And I still, you know, you're still the protector. Like, it's just, that's me. Yeah. So uh, about how much do you have uh, done of your next book? I'm pretty close to being done. <gasps> well, <laughs> then I feel like you and I are probably going to have another talk very soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I, you know, it, you would think with all this time on my hands from this, you know, isolation that I'd write, but I just can't get into, I don't know if it's because there's so much distractions. In there's my so house. much distractions. So yeah. I'm the same way I, I, I thought, all right, I'm going to finish my second book. It's going to be easy. I've got all this time and I write less now than I did right. before. Like I wrote yeah. more when I was working, but now, and I don't even understand it. Like we're locked in our house. We're wearing gross clothes all the time. Probably the same thing a couple days in a row, but I still have more laundry than I ever had. In my life. <laughs> How did that yeah. even happen? That's a weird math thing that I don't even think scientists could explain. <laughs> So I hope, um, I don't want to cut you off, but we are out of time. Uh, I hope you and I are talking very soon and I hope I get to see you in person very soon. Same here. I Thank know you. we live in New England. We'll do some events together. Yes. Yeah. So everybody, this was Pam Battencourt and uh, I, I hope you enjoyed listening to her far more than you enjoyed listening to me. Uh, we are here from Breaking Rules Publishing. I'm going to force Pam to uh, submit something for our wedding anthology. I'm going to force her, even if she doesn't want to. Uh, again, thank you from all of us here at Breaking Rules Publishing. I hope you have a really good rest of your quarantine day, everybody. Thank you so much. If you or somebody you know has been a victim of sexual assault or sexual abuse, please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline. You can call 1-800-656-HOPE. All calls are confidential.